so previously as an engineer, it was quite easy to track my metrics on, you know, how many tickets am I closing? How many pull requests am I merging in to me? And how many pull requests from colleagues am I reviewing? Uh, how many, you know, review uh, requests for comment papers am I, you know, creating or commenting on? Those metrics were quite tangible. And they were very like short term um, and being able to, to see the, the benefit of your, your input or your work. Uh, with management, the return on investment is a much longer time frame. And generally you're managing, I'm sorry, you're measuring your productivity as a result of other people's work to some extent. Emma Bostian shares strategies for transitioning from engineer to manager and talks about continuous learning and time management. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Engineering Leadership Series. I'm here with Emma Boston. She is an engineering manager at Spotify. Welcome, Emma. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to chat with you. It's been, I feel like, forever. Um, although maybe 2024 will be like the year that everybody gets out of COVID. I don't know. Right? That would be nice. I think the last time maybe we met was in Raleigh for All Things Open, yes. but it was very, very brief. Uh, so yep. I'm happy to get to talk more with you. I know. And um, so much has changed in all of our lives. Uh, I know. Having babies to like, you know, well, now you're an engineering manager. So I am. Yeah, <laughs> I am. So much has changed. Yeah. New country, new family. Not that I had an old I know. family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. And that, that's only been what? I mean, you know, it's weird because it's like, it's only been two years, but no, it's been like four years. It's, yeah, it has been about four years. Oh my gosh. Time flies, time flies. It does. <laughs> okay, so you've been an engineering manager at Spotify for about a year now, is that right? Yes, about a year. Yeah, I, um, I was an engineer there for about Oh my gosh, was it two? No, a year and a half. And then I had a baby and went on parental leave for nine months, thanks to the Swedish system. Very, uh, very helpful. And when it was during my parental leave, I interviewed uh, for the EM role on my team. My team was expanding to three teams and there were some open positions. So I interviewed and transitioned uh, in actually on a Halloween day of, la <laughs> oh my gosh, 2022. 2022? 20, I yeah, don't know. The years, the, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like right after your mater maternity leave ended. Basically. Yes, exactly. My first day back, I came to a new role. Woo, fun. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So what was that transition like? Like what's, um, you know, did you have any expectations going in, like going from developer to manager? Did you know what you were walking into? Yes and no. So I, it was strange because I had previously worked with about half of the team members um, and then we had hired on some new ones. So I knew half of the people already and they were previously my peers slash friends. So that was a little bit like I messaged them individually. I'm like, are you cool with this? Like, we'll work through it if like you have any concerns. Um, and then the new people, obviously, I was building from the ground up. Um but I had a previous manager at Spotify who made the same kind of transition from engineer to engineering manager after parental leave. And she found it really difficult. And we had talked a lot about it. So I think my expectations were pretty realistic about it's going to be difficult because I have a, nine months worth of technical competence I need to reattain. And then on top of that, I'm learning a new role. So I think setting those realistic expectations helps a lot. But um yeah, there were some hurdles that I had to get over for sure. Yeah, it sounds like you had like a really good mentor though, kind of like talking through the 
the process. I don't yeah, know, mentor, my, co- yeah, I don't. My my manager, be, uh, he was still my manager when I came back. So he went up to a senior EM position, and I took his role actually. Um, and he was excellent. So from day one, he was like, "I want you to feel that you have the autonomy to make decisions and mistakes, and I expect you and want you to make mistakes." And that really gave me the the freedom to learn. Like I always had those guardrails if I needed them, but I didn't feel constrained within them. So that was really, it took me about, I would say six months to feel more confident uh, with the role. Um, But after that period, I think I, yeah, I gained some confidence. I gained some knowledge and uh, I've been doing much better in my, my opinion um, the past six months. What do you think are some of the like challenges in the first year that people should be uh, aware of if they're transitioning? For me, the biggest one was how do I measure productivity? So previously as an engineer, it was quite easy to track my metrics on, you know, how many tickets am I closing? How many pull requests am I merging in to main? How many pull requests from colleagues am I reviewing? Uh, how many, you know, review uh, requests for comment papers am I, you know, creating or commenting on? Those metrics were quite tangible. And they were very, like, short term. Um, and being able to to see the the benefit of your, your input or your work. Uh, with management, the return on investment is a much longer time frame. And generally, you're managing, I'm sorry, you're measuring your productivity as a result of other people's work to some extent. So, it took like we're on six month planning cycles and it took a full period of planning to be like, okay, uh, I actually feel productive because my team was, they're psychologically safe. We have a very strong like culture of trust. So, you know, I feel productive in that respect. Um, but then also we have achieved our, our roadmap. We've, we've achieved all the things we set out to, but it did take six months to, to reap the benefits of the productivity, um, or to see the benefits of, um, my, my work. So that was kind of a, that was difficult for me because I'm definitely someone that likes instantaneous reward. So if you're able to get past the non-instant gratification part of that, I think uh, you'll be able to succeed uh, at a much quicker rate. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I am a manager now, I suppose, but I'm like, that's why I got into development, the instant gratification of like being able to front end development specifically, right? Like being able to see something on your screen immediately and like mm-hmm. change something immediately. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Six months. That's a long time to, to, to sit and watch. Um, what about like, uh, you know, I know you said before that like your team is pretty senior. So mm-hmm. um how do you manage a team like that? Like, especially, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know where you ranked with them or if you like, was, are you, are your skill sets as an engineer, like equal to them or were they less? Oh, absolutely less. I was at a <laughs> massive knowledge and skill deficit to them, but that was to be expected, right? Like I have folks on the team. I have one of the highest tenured teams in the company. Um, I have folks who've been there 11 years, several of them. And for me, that was a massive blessing um, because I'm able to go to them and ask any question and get a non-judgmental response. And I was um, I was speaking with my tech lead, product area lead, and he was asking me, what's the mo- he was, what was the most difficult part of this job for you? And I said, frankly, it's me worrying that if I ask a question, 
my peers or colleagues might look down on me for not already knowing the answer to this, um, mm -hmm. something maybe I should have already known. Uh, and he said, well, do you know that they'll, they'll think that about you or are you just making assumptions that people are going to think that? I'm like, that's a good point. I think I'm just preemptively assuming people are going to look down on me for asking questions I should know the answer to. And he said, people are going to get more frustrated with you if you don't ask the questions and kind of wait it out to see if you figure it out yourself. Like it takes so much less time just to ask. So um, circling back, having a highly tenured team gives me the tools that I need to be able to find the information like within a few seconds um, where, you know, a more junior team, if I was, you know, more senior than them in technical expertise and product knowledge, it would be more difficult uh, for me coming back from nine months of parental leave into an EM role. So for me, it was a really great transition. I know it could probably be difficult. Like it really depends on your perspective, right? Um, if you're looking to come in and make a massive impact and get people promoted and and have people like grow their skills super, super fast, having a highly senior team might be difficult for you because, you know, um, there's maybe not as strong of a, a desire or like a driving motivation to like go out and seek a promotion for people who've been there that long or, you know, um, maybe they already have a lot of the skills that they need. So it's a slower learning process. Um, it really just depends on your perspective. But for me, it was an absolute blessing to have a highly senior team. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because thinking about people in general, right? Like you think about engineers, you think about uh, business people, you know, whatever, whatever it is, right? Like a lot of times I find that people want to, you know, be the smartest, I would say, right? And so like, I mean, do you see that phenomenon where it's like, okay, you know, you don't, a lot of people like want people, like want to be the best in the room. So they kind of like, you know, have people of lesser skill, I would say probably surrounding mm -hmm. them. And, you know, the people who really succeed, in my opinion, are the people who are, you know, who want to be surrounded by people who know more than them, who like mm -hmm. are the dumbest in the room, because uh, it helps them grow. And, you know, that can be very freeing, right? Like knowing that you don't know everything and that's okay. Um, mm. But it sounds like, uh, actually, I never thought about it. Like, but to be a manager, you kind of have to do that and be okay with that. But like mm. transitioning from an engineer to a manager and managing somebody more senior, I feel like you might have a little bit more of that, like push and pull of like, oh, I know, you know, like I'm not the mm. smartest and now I'm managing you. So like, sh you know, yeah, I think I for me, I approach it as so, like on paper, I am like in the hierarchy, I am their manager, but I've always approached this as seeing myself as their peer in a different role from them. Mm -hmm. um, and I, the, the thing is, I, I don't feel the need to be the smartest in the room and I would never say I'm the smartest, but I will say I'm highly competent. And for me, the difference there is um, I might not be able to regurgitate the answers needed about like the status of a, a work stream at any given moment or the challenges in our tech stack at any given moment, right? But I am competent enough to go out and find the answer and use my network. And as a manager, you have to be vulnerable. Um, you know, you have to balance like I, I was joking on Twitter the other day that I balanced 50 different projects and then thinking about it, it wasn't actually a joke because when I add them all up, you know, I have to know the status of all the work streams and uh, our tech, our, our code base and uh, stakeholder management and all the, like where we're going in the next six months. And it does add up to be a significant number. Right. And so 
you need to rely on your team. You're not supposed to be the smartest person in the room as the manager. You're supposed to inspire other people um, to do their best work. But going back to like the ego of, you know, senior engineers potentially wanting to be the smartest person in the room. I have seen that at other companies, but I will say my team and like the surrounding teams at Spotify are so humble. And that's why that's what keeps me there, frankly, is the fact that you walk into uh, my team who has, you know, three or four people been there 10 years, 11 years, seven years. There's no ego anywhere to be found. Um, I could ask them, how do I declare a variable in JavaScript? And they wouldn't even question it. They would just, you know, tell me the answer. Um, but when I joined, I did this uh, exercise with them. It was called moving motivators, where basically you have these different cards that have different motivations on them, like, uh, you know, a high salary or a bonus or being recognized formally by my peers, um, like all these different things that might motivate someone. And I had them rank how important these things were to them. And interestingly, like, uh, like recognition from peers and uh, superiors in the organization was not high on their motivation list. They're not motivated by wanting to be the smartest in the room. They just like to work with people who are competent and willing to learn. And that's what keeps me at Spotify. But I have seen, you know, in other organizations where that is the case, people want to prove how smart they are. Mm, it's called movie motivators. Yeah. And actually, I think it's a template in Mural. Or yeah. there might, yeah, it's in Mural. If you've ever used Mural, they have a moving motivators template. It's quite oh. interesting um, to see what motivates people, whether that's um, knowledge or freedom to like autonomy to get your work done the way you want or things like that. Yes, yes, yes. One of my investors back in the day would always, uh, that's his, his first thing always, like when he first met me, right? Like what motivates you? Like, who are yeah. you? You know, because it's so much easier to, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're like, well, I'll tell the VP about how well you did. Like, you obviously know they don't even care about that. So mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'll buy you pizza. How high yeah. is it on your movie? <laughs> right. I'm like, if my team member does a good job and I know that what's valuable to them is having good work-life balance, I'll tell them to take the afternoon off on Friday, leave a little bit early, spend time with their family, right? Like, um, you know, I think at face value, it, this exercise, we looked at it, and we're like, this is pretty easy. And then we started talking through the different cards. And we're like, okay, actually, there's more depth to these things than we thought. And the point is, you're supposed to revisit this every six months or a year, because your motivations change over time. Uh, so I'd recommend yeah. doing that. Yeah, yeah. No, I love I love that idea. I'm definitely going to look it up. Um, what about, you know, just kind of like the day to day? Like, what do engineering managers do? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, so my day is comprised, I would say most days are about 70% meetings. So you have to enjoy meetings um, to some extent, right? Um, so I have seven team members, which means I have one 30 minute one on one with each of them every week, right? So that's what, three and a half hours of, of one on ones right there. Um, we have different meetings. We have stand up every morning where we talk about, you know, um, what we did yesterday, what we're working in today, if we need any help with things. Uh, I have syncs with my um, product management and design partners. I have tech lead meetings uh, for the product area. We do retrospectives every two weeks. Um, so there are a ton of different meetings, regression testing. I also try to attend all of the technical meetings. While I don't necessarily need to be in them, it's really good for me to learn, you know, the status of things and what our limitations are. Um, so I do spend the majority of my time in meetings, but in the time that I have free, um, it's spent 
um, like working on creating team activities, uh, such as like, we just ran an activity that I created about how to stay, uh, how do you stay up to date in the tech industry when it's constantly changing? Um, that was really fun. We kind of aggregated all our resources from like podcasts to blogs to courses and like got to share them. Um, and I'm taking the output from that and turning it into a resource that anyone in the company can go and look at if they need inspiration. Um, I also work on the technical strategy for our product area. Um, so there are a lot of like projects that I do in my spare time, like uh, working on improving culture in our product area, things of that nature on top of the meeting. So it's, yeah, it's mostly meetings and then interspersed, you know, in 30 minute segments sometimes is like, okay, I have focus time now to work on all of the, the residual tasks from these meetings. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel <laughs> you. I feel you. <laughs> my life is not so different. But I'm um, having that focus time. Actually, it was interesting because, you know, before, right, I was more in business and then I became a developer. And uh, it wasn't until I became a developer that I really understood what it meant to have focus time. And mm -hmm. so now, yeah, because, you know, I think like, you know, if you're if you're in business, you're like, oh, yeah, I can have a meeting at whenever you want, 10 o'clock, mm -hmm. one o'clock, you know, and your your day is like so broken up. Um, but the productivity levels I can experience and like the lessons I learned from, uh, you know, getting into code and needing to like keep a train of thought, I think was incredibly valuable. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I definitely struggled with time management for the first several months. I remember talking to my manager about the fact that I feel like I have no time to get anything done. I feel like I'm just like, I've got these 30 minute blocks of time in between meetings that are my only focus time. And frankly, I'm burning out from that. It's not sustainable. Um, and he was like, well, you should start saying no to meetings and then also maybe reschedule like to some meetings to different days. I'm like, that's a good idea. So then I started batching all of my one-on-ones having like a one-on-one -on -one day where I just like, I had my chats with people like on one day of the week. So it freed up larger blocks to focus and that worked okay. But then I'm like, I don't want to get burnt out from having all my meetings like on one day. Right. So I, I'm still in the process of figuring out what works best for me. And I haven't come up with a proper solution, but I, I think for, the weeks change, right? Some weeks are really busy with meetings. Others, I have a lot of focus time. So you just have to kind yeah. of be able to go with that. Yeah. So going back to, um, you know, kind of like growing a, a highly senior team, like you said, you have like, yeah, I mean, what if, I mean, I guess everybody's motivated by different things, right? But like, it is much easier mm. when you have like a junior developer who's like, what's next? What's next? Mm. What's next? Um, or at least to be able to see like the the impact that you can have on somebody's career. But, um, you know, when somebody is so high up, like how how do you how do you grow their skill set? Mm, that's a good question. Um, one of the first activities we also did was a skills assessment where we had these four quadrants. And I think Carol, is it Carol? No, it wasn't Carol Dweck. It was another um I can't remember who came up with this graphic, but it's essentially a chart that talks about like your um, what skills you're interested in and subsequently good at, what skills you're interested in but aren't great at yet, and the skills you're not good at um, Ooh, and don't I like. like. And the skill, yeah. So, so I had people plot their skills on this four quadrant chart. Um, so we could kind of see who's who's a domain expert in TypeScript or who's a domain expert in uh, React uh, testing library, right? And then we match that up with the skills that they're interested in but don't know enough about. 
uh, and so they were able to see like, oh, like this person on the team knows a lot about React testing library. It's something I want to learn more about. Maybe we can pair up. Mm -hmm. um, but it also allowed me to be like, oh, okay, like uh, Sarah wants to learn more about uh, CSS this year. Well, I have some CSS resources uh, that I can share with her if she's interested in taking a course or reading a book or et cetera. Um, so there are skills that people are always interested in learning. It's about finding that um, sweet spot of like, What's something they're interested in that they haven't had time to learn and matching them with projects uh, that fit that, like being able to to learn that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say also, like you're supposed to grow the whole person, right? So you're not just growing their technical skills. You're also growing their their writing skills, their communication skills, their if they want to get into blogging, um, you know, being more empathetic, like they're, you're working with the whole person. So if they don't want to necessarily grow their technical skills, uh, you can grow their leadership skills or their project management skills. Uh, a lot of engineering managers um, lately have been talking about like, you know, going back to being an IC or like we see that mm. path a lot, right? Like what would you say? I mean, why do you think people go back to being an IC and why do you think people stay in engineering management? Mm. I think there are a couple factors that can lead someone to transitioning back to an IC. The first, in my opinion, is that people miss coding. They miss delivering um, features for a product. Um, and that's totally valid. Like as an EM, I don't really do any coding, frankly. Like I don't think that there's an expectation on me as an EM at this company to deliver code. Um, some companies actually have this kind of hybrid role where as a leader, you're also expected to deliver code, but I'm not personally expected to. And frankly, I don't miss it. I don't miss coding. I was kind of burnt out from it. It was never a huge passion of mine. I liked the beginner side of code, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and then some React, but anything deeper than that just didn't interest me so much. So I don't miss it, but there are people who really do miss it. And I think that's one big reason people transition back. The second is if you get into engineering management for the wrong reasons, and those reasons aren't paying off like you expected them to. So when I say wrong reasons, I don't mean it in a bad way, but I mean more like your perception of the role it does not match up with uh, reality, right? So some people think being an EM will lead to like a higher salary or like a higher uh, career trajectory. Um, and in this day and age, like EMs don't necessarily make more than engineers, right? So like money wise, it's not like a huge pay raise, I would say. For me, it was, I didn't really, you know, have a, a pay increase switching over. It was kind of a lateral move. Um, but if you're also getting into this to be the boss, essentially, or to like have command over decisions, um, that's not necessarily the best uh, like justification for getting into this job. It is a byproduct of it. You will have to make decisions. But um, if you're getting into it for that reason, I don't think it's you're not going to build trust with your teammates as quickly. And if you don't have the trust of your teammates, you're not going to be super successful or productive. So I think those two reasons um, are the, the factors that lead people to transitioning back. <laughs> I was thinking about too many things. I was like, wait, okay. No, I mean, you bring up a good point. So I was like trying to work with that a little bit, but I failed. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. We covered most of it. Is there anything else you want to, you know, say or cover or questions you want me to ask? Um, I think one more thing that might be interesting to just touch on is like, 
what it means to be a good manager. Okay. Um, that might be an interesting little discussion. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think it takes to be a good manager? So this is something that I've had to learn the hard way. Um, I am a people pleaser. I like everyone to get along. I don't like conflict. And unfortunately, this role does not work harmoniously with that <laughs> outlook on life. Being a good manager does not mean everyone thinking you are a good manager. And that was a really tough lesson for me to learn. Um, you're going to have to make difficult calls. You're going to have to have difficult conversations. And the reality is the the people on the other side of the screen or the people on the other side of the table might have a different perception of reality than you do. Um, and in those instances, you have to be okay with disagreement about you as a manager. And, you know, maybe you have a difficult conversation with a team member where you know that you're making the right call. You've, you've discussed it with your manager and maybe, you know, two levels up, um, or your peers. Um, and you know, they all agree that this is the right course of action. Um, but the team member does not agree. Uh, they have a different perception and you have to be okay with them not agreeing and them thinking that you're not a good manager. That was a really hard pill for me to swallow. Um, it's kind of the same with being a parent, right? Like I have a two-year-old and right now she doesn't want to wear her hat and gloves and it is negative 14 degrees Celsius, which is about six degrees Fahrenheit outside. Now I, you know, part of me wants to be like, okay, go reap the consequences of your actions and learn the hard way. But I know that I have to make the hard call to, to kind of like force her to wear these because it's, it's protecting her in the long run, um, even though she disagrees with me in the moment. So once I was able to understand that, um, it really opened my eyes to to what a good manager is. And it, yeah, it's it's making the difficult calls in the short term, you know, for the long term benefit of everyone. Um, yeah, that's one aspect of it. But I think that's one of the biggest revelations that I've had. Well, cool. So how do we find out more about you? I mean, I know you like tweeted some stuff about engineering management. Like you said, oh, it was just uh, what, five days ago. The hardest part of engineering management for you is context switching. Yeah. <laughs> but um, are you are you talking about engineering management anywhere? I actually am speaking at a conference. It's called Dev World in Amsterdam in about a month. It's on the uh -huh. 29th. Of February. So that talk is going to be how do you know if switching to engineering management is right for you? Um, I'm also going to be blogging a bit more about engineering management on Friend and Masters. They've started a new blog that Chris Coyer is running. I'm very excited to, to work with him Ooh, and come up with some exciting. fun topics. Um, but it's something that I want to be more like, I want to share more of my knowledge about. I've just been a little bit slow as I, you know, I didn't want to preemptively start like sharing my knowledge or learnings because it does take time to acclimate but yeah i think slowly i'm going to start producing more content and chatting more with people but yeah uh, until that time i think twitter is probably the the easiest place to keep in touch nice okay and it's very easy it's just your name emma boston um, yes. on twitter so definitely check her out and um thanks everyone for listening in and we'll see you next time